0: have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to read verses 33 and 34, and then I'm going to Luke 24. We're going to stay in Luke 23 and 24. We're going to begin just reading a little bit about the crucifixion of Jesus and then his resurrection. Luke 23, 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, along with the criminals, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now that's the crucifixion. Now jump over to 24, verse 6. And you find angels speaking to women who went to the tomb three days later. And they say, he is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee? Now, here's the strange thing. The women go and report to the disciples that Jesus is risen. And I want you to notice what it says about them in verse 11. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, God is good. And I want you to notice this is very strange. How in the world do 12 men who followed Jesus for three years, heard his teaching, saw him raise the dead, heal the sick, open blind eyes, cast out devils, when it came time for Jesus' resurrection? They did not believe the report. They did not believe it. Instead, the Bible describes them this way. They were terrified and frightened at the appearance of the risen Jesus in their midst. Terrified. Frightened. Mark records that when he, when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by Mary Magdalene... They did not believe. John records the disciples were hiding in fear behind locked doors when Jesus appeared to them. Hiding in fear behind locked doors. When Jesus walked in and said, hello, they were afraid. What was wrong? What caused this huge disconnect between the disciples and what they had always heard Jesus tell them he was going to do? And the way they responded when Jesus finally rose from the dead. I'm going to give it to you in two simple words. Failed expectations. They had failed expectations. So, Pastor Jeff, what do you mean by that? See, the disciples had been raised believing that when the Messiah came, the Messiah was going to take over the world governmentally. They had always been told that when the Messiah appeared... For instance, Isaiah said in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, he said the government will be on his shoulders and you'll call his name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. When they expected to see the Messiah, when they encountered the Messiah, they expected Jesus to take over the Roman world. They were not expecting the Messiah they got. I don't know about you, but here's what they experienced. The God they expected is not the God they got. I don't know if you've ever experienced expecting God to show up in a certain way, and he showed up in another way entirely. And the God you were expecting is not the God that you got. Because sometimes God surprises us. Sometimes God does not do what we thought he was going to do. God can never be put into a box. And so all those years, those three years when they followed Jesus all around, receiving their life, watching him do everything that he did, all the works, all the miracles, all the incredible signs and wonders, everything in their mind was building up to the day that Jesus would stand and suppress the Roman tyranny, the Roman oppression and take over and bring peace. But that is not what happened. And they had failed expectations. You know, we glory in the cross, we glory in the in the, the blood that was spilled for us. We sing about the old rugged cross and we love what the cross did. But I'm going to tell you when it came to the disciples, the cross was hell. The cross was hell for them because they saw their dream, their hope, hung on a tree, dying, helpless, not delivering himself, and they did not know how to take that. It did not register. They had failed expectations, failed expectations. And really, this is brought up close for us in a little story that is told about a place called the road to Emmaus, the road to Emmaus. The Bible says that one day in the afternoon of the first Easter Sunday, two of those disciples were walking down the road. It's about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And they were talking amongst themselves saying, you know, I don't understand. We're confused. We're perplexed. The God we expected is not the God that showed up. How do we handle this? How do we deal with this? My faith is shattered. My hope is shattered. And I can understand them. Have you ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? Have you ever believed God for something that didn't show up? Have you ever asked God to reveal himself and he did not reveal himself in the way that you asked? And you find yourself walking down that lonely road to Emmaus. We were hoping, they said. We were hoping. We were hoping. Jesus walks up to them They don't even know that it's Jesus, and they're just walking down this road, and suddenly a stranger comes up, and the stranger says, what's the matter with you guys? And they said, are you the only one in all of Israel who does not know what has transpired? Jesus said, tell me about it. I want you to know something, folks. Sometimes Jesus just wants you to talk to him. Because if anybody knew what had happened, he did it had happened to him. But he said, no, no. Uh, uh, tell me, what happened? And they said, well, there was this mighty prophet, a healer. His name was Jesus. He did this. He did that. And we were hoping, we were hoping that it was he, Jesus, who was going to redeem Israel. This was our hope. Webster says that hope is a feeling that something desirable is likely to happen in your future. We can live without a lot of things, but you can't live without hope. You've got to have hope if you're going to survive. You've got to have hope if you're going to live. There is no quality of life without hope. And I'm glad to tell you today that our God is a God of hope. He has a future for you and for me. Amen. But without hope, we sink into, into despondency and, and into despair. Without hope, without being able to wake up and look in the future and say, I believe that something is coming. Something is good. Something good is going to happen to me because of God. But their hope was shattered because he had been their hope. And everything they thought he would do, he did not do. They had hoped that Jesus was going to redeem Israel, take over politically, deliver them from the Romans, and restore them to the glory they had with David and with Solomon. They hung their faith hats on that, and it did not take place to the disciples. Every day was a step closer to the overthrow of Rome, and it did not happen Now in stunned amazement and disillusionment, they're sitting there not knowing what to do, walking down the road to Emmaus. We had hoped that he was the one. We really thought he was the one. We really believed that he was the one. But we were wrong. He died. It's over now. Back to business as usual. You know, I was reading this story and it occurred to me, we've all walked on an Emmaus road at one time or another, every one of us. Between the cross and the resurrection, you know what it is? Between the cross when you lose your hope and the resurrection of that hope, it's Emmaus. You'll get it in a minute. (laughs) The Emmaus road, the Emmaus road, the Emmaus road. When you were hoping God was going to do something and he didn't do what you thought he was going to do, he didn't move when you thought he was going to move. He didn't prove what you thought he was going to prove. The Emmaus Road is the road you walk when your team has lost, when your candidate has been defeated, or when your loved one has died. It's the long road back to the empty house, the piles of unopened mail, to life as usual, if life can ever be usual again. The Emmaus Road is the road you travel when God seems distant. You struggle with your faith and you don't know what to do next or where to turn. That's Emmaus. And that's where his disciples were between the cross and the resurrection. In Emmaus, I read recently that some time ago, Billy and Ruth Graham were told that one of their daughters' marriages was in trouble. They boarded a plane, flew to see them, prayed with her and her husband, counseled them, left with hopes high, but they divorced anyway. We were hoping. We were hoping. We were believing. But that's not what happened. Some of you here today have prayed for the salvation of a loved one, and months have now turned into years, and you're saying, I was hoping. I had hoped. I thought that God was going to this or God was going to that. But it has not happened. It takes faith to see prayers answered. But I want to tell you something. It takes stronger faith to walk when, as Philip Yancey put it, the supernatural world has seemingly gone into hiding. That's when it really takes faith. When you've got to walk when you don't see anything. When you've got to walk with God and trust him when your prayers have not yet been answered. This is what happened between the cross and the resurrection. If you're on the Emmaus Road today, I see a message in this story. Let me tell you what it is. First of all, Jesus is there with you. He's there with you. Because I noticed as they walked and talked, Jesus entered into their pain. Can I tell you something today, church? You don't have to put on your Sunday best to come to Jesus. You don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. We somehow think that this whole thing is performance. I've got to do rules and regulations and live up to certain code. But I see these men, they had no faith. They were downcast, disillusioned, doubting the promises of God. And Jesus came up to them to restore them from their hopelessness. Jesus is with you in your pain. Can we understand that today? He loves you right where you are. He loves you the way you are. He loves you because he made you. And here they are. Wow, he didn't turn out to be who we thought. We must have followed a fraud. What happened? And here comes Jesus. Tell me what's going on with you guys. And they let it all out. And that's what God wants you to do. Don't put on a show. Don't put on an act. Don't put on a facade. Just go to Jesus and say, hey, I'm disillusioned. I don't know what to do with the way that I feel. I thought you were going to this and that and the other. And let Jesus into your Emmaus. Let him in. Let him in. Let him in. I love this. It says Jesus came up and walked along with them. Just walked along with them. I see in Scripture that the Lord rarely appears to us in a blaze of heavenly light. Have you ever noticed that? I've had some powerful visitations from God, but I'm going to tell you something. Most of the visitations that I've had have been in the ordinary of my everyday, every day. He rarely shows himself in a blaze of heavenly light or a booming audible voice, the Bible reveals ordinary people encountering God in ordinary ways while doing ordinary things. Do you know that? Just doing ordinary stuff. Here's Moses. Moses herding sheep, just herding sheep which he'd been doing for 40 years. And all of a sudden he says, Behold, that bush is burning and it's not being consumed. And God spoke to him out of the bush that burned but wasn't consumed while he was just doing ordinary things. Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press when an angel appeared and said, Hail, mighty man of valor. Enoch was just taking a walk one day. And God said, I believe it's time for you to come up to heaven. Boom. And Enoch went, just taking a walk one day. Just taking a walk one day. And that's going to happen to every person who is blood-bought. You're going to be taking a walk one day. And God's going to turn to his son and say, go get your bride. You're going to be driving your car, taking a walk. (laughs) Boom. Here's Mary Magdalene waiting at the empty tomb in her own Emmaus experience. She is weeping. She says, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. What has happened to Jesus' body? What have you done with him? Suddenly, standing there was a stranger, stood right by her, so ordinary she thought he was the gardener. Tell me where you took my Lord. And he just looked at her and said, Mary. And she knew that it was Jesus, grabbed him by the feet and said, my teacher, my teacher, Jesus came to her in her ordinary life. Simon Peter came ashore after a long night of fruitless fishing to find a little fire of coals and a familiar voice saying, Children, do you have any fish? No, Lord. Sit down and have a fish fry with me. I'm Jesus. That's ordinary. That's ordinary. He appears in the ordinary way of things. Here's what I'm trying to say to you today. In your Emmaus experience where you don't understand I want to suggest to you that he's trying to talk to you in ordinary ways that you might have missed because you're looking for something dynamic and he's right there standing next to you some way speaking to you already. Kathy and I went through a real uh, valley a number of years ago in the early 80s. I graduated from college and I just really believed that God was going to take me to preach the gospel of the whole world. I was ready. I'd done all this studying. And we got out and not one single door opened. We found ourselves living in what was affectionately known as the Rocha Villa. The Rocha Villa. And it was accurately so named because it was filled with roaches. And it was a government subsidized deal. We didn't have any money. I was just trying to put bread on the table. No doors were open. I was low, 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 down, and I was seeking God. And I was thinking that God was going to speak to me out of some voice, out of some vision, out of some dream. And I had not really grasped that often he just comes to us in the ordinary run of things and talks to us in very simple ways. This one day we were taking care of a little girl who had Down syndrome. IQ about 80 her parents we knew and every once in a while we'd watch this little girl and she was a little sweetheart and she was sitting in this chair across from God's man of faith and power for the hour walking around doubting God and she's watching me and I'm so in my own stuff I'm not even watching her or aware that she's aware of me and I sit down in a chair all dejected turn the TV off What am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? I'm called to preach, not do this stuff that I'm doing right now. And all of a sudden, this little girl gets up. She walked over to me, sat in my lap, put her arms around my head, and she said, It's okay, Jeff. Jesus is with you. And I got so convicted. I felt like such a jerk. Here's this little girl. She's challenged the rest of her life, but she notices in her condition that I'm down. And I believe with all of my heart, Jesus just came and moved on her. And in the ordinary setting of a living room, just babysitting a little girl, here she comes and tells me what I should have known anyway Jesus is with you, Jeff. Say it with me, he's probably talking to me. If I'll just listen. And here's what I've learned about God when you're in an Emmaus experience and he has not done what you thought he was going to do, and your faith has not been answered, and you're perplexed and dazed and confused, are you ready? It's probably because he's got a bigger plan than you can see. And the reason what you were praying for didn't happen is because God has a better idea. And if you'll just hang on, he'll show it to you. It says that Jesus began to talk to them. Listen to what it says about them. Then he opened their minds. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And then he said to them this, Don't you see that these things had to happen? Don't you see, disciples of mine, these things had to happen? I had to go to the cross. I had to spill my blood. I had to die for the sins of mankind. I had to give my life. If I was going to give life back to those who believe in me, what you did not see was a bigger picture. Folks, listen, we see on our best day through a glass darkly, And when we can see what God is really doing, every once in a while, we'll get a glimpse. And we'll see, wow, the reason he didn't answer my prayer is because it would have so cheated me if he had. Because he had a bigger plan. And Jesus said, here's the deal. These things had to happen that the Messiah had to suffer and only then enter into his glory. Here's what he was saying to them. Guys, understand, there's a bigger picture. You wanted me to take over Rome But what I did when I died on the cross, I conquered the world. The world. So I've got a bigger picture. I've got a better plan. I've got something bigger than you know anything about. I am moving in ways that you cannot see. I have learned that when God doesn't make sense, just spend time with God. Just spend time with him and walk with him and trust him. Because as the days and weeks and months and even years go by, his plan is revealed. His plan unfolds. And he says, this is why I didn't do that way back then. Because I had a purpose and I had a plan that was bigger than anything you could see. And I'm working it out. You know what Easter is all about? He has conquered the world. He has conquered the devil. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has risen from the dead. He is Lord and master of the universe. Now he had a plan. And he's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you. So Jesus is with you between your cross of failed expectations and the resurrection of your hope. And he's got a bigger plan than you can imagine. Kath and I were talking just recently how there was a while there, a couple of years back, we just wanted to to fold up. We just wanted to fold our tent up sell the house, move away, start completely over. But Jesus said, you just sit still and you preach. You just stand and you preach. Don't do anything, but you just preach. You let me show you what I've got in my providential mind, and I'm going to work out my plan. So not knowing what was going to happen, I just stood and preached, and a book has come along, and radio has come along, and a growing church has come along, and we've only just begun. None, because the plan is unfolding. You got to give God time to reveal His plan. So when they understood, they were the only two. Listen, they turned around and ran back down that road. Ran into Jerusalem and entered into the thick of what God was doing and reached the known world for Jesus Christ. They were restored when they realized He had a bigger plan than they understood. And He does for you in your marriage, with your children, with your job, with your life. You are not just getting up and going through an eight to five schedule. God has got his hand on you, his destiny on you, his purpose for you, his design for you. When you were born, there was something already in his mind he saw you doing. And he's waiting for us just to say, Lord, I give you my life. Now lead me into it. Lead me into it. My life changed the day. I just said, Lord, I give you my life. Now show me what you want me to do. And God began to reveal to me that I wasn't just born, and neither are you. I wasn't just some happenstance human being, and neither are you. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. You're a child of the king, a child of destiny, a child of purpose, a child that God has a design for. His hand is on your life, not just on Easter Sunday either, but every day of the week, every week of the year, every year of your life, your years are in the hands of God, and he's got a plan for you, not just for preachers, for everybody. He has a plan. Can we stand together today? <clears throat> you know, I'm going to get a little bit transparent. Huh. When Kathy and I were at our lowest place and she wasn't living at home. I decided that I had to have some company and I went down to the dog pound in Fort Worth. And I decided that I was going to adopt a dog. How many of you know if there ain't no human there, the next best thing is a dog? I happen to be a dog lover. I went down to the pound, I had money. Had some money. I said to the woman, I said, now, I want a dog. I'm not leaving without a dog. Because see, at the Fort Worth pound, they're doomed. Because they'll put them down if they're not adopted. So every animal in there is terminal. So I wanted to go save one. I think if you're ever going to get a dog, you ought to go to the pound and get them. So she said, well, follow me. And I went back there and here's tons of dogs. And I just went... I said, Jesus, I know you're going to show me which one. I know that sounds funny, but I believe he knew because that dog has tested me. He knew. No, I love that dog. But I'm walking along, all these dogs, and I see this one little puppy. I said to the woman, him, let me see him. She took him out of his cage, handed him to me. He got me right off the bat because he nestled right underneath my arm and wouldn't come out. I said, you sorry dog. You knew just what to do. But here's what I did. I said, I'm going to take this one. I walked down to the front. She said, that's going to be $70 or something. I put the money down. I redeemed him. And then... I walked out with him. He had never been free. He was just a little puppy. Now here's the deal. I chose him. And when I chose him, I had something in my mind. I saw him running around the house, jumping up on my legs when I walk in, happy to see me. Aren't you glad when somebody's happy to see you? And when you got a good dog, it's like the second coming of Jesus every time you come home. (laughs) And so I I had a plan for him. And so first I visited the cage. He would never have ever gotten out if somebody with the authority to order him out had not ordered him out. So I said, I choose him. Listen, I don't understand it, but everybody in here washed in the blood. The Bible says Jesus chose you. That's right. From the cage of sin. And then he took you to the counter and he paid for you the only currency that could purchase you out of bondage, and that was his blood. And I took that little dog out into the wide open freedom of outside. He was just like this. Putting him in my car. He's terrified. He's never been in anything like this. Now he's free. He's fed. He's loved. He's been added to a family. God chose you. Paid for you. Set you free. Brought you home and has given you a family. That's what he's done. And you know why I want to thank him as we get ready to go today? Because we'd have never, ever, ever, ever gotten out of that cage if Jesus had not died for us and then come and said, you and you and you, you." come on. And we responded to the call and he set us free. Now remember, my little dog now is grown, and he is living out what I saw for him when I bought him. When God chose you, he had something in his mind. He saw you doing it. He saw me preaching. He saw me teaching. He saw you doing something. And that's why he called you out. So you've got a purpose. You've got a design. You've got a future. So can we just thank the God of resurrection today Let's just do it. Lord, we thank you right now that Jesus came into that terrible place where we were bound up. We were without God and without hope. And he took us out of the cage of sin, paid for our deliverance, brought us into the wide open freedom of the sons of God, And gave us a family. And one day, we will be taken ultimately to his house. We praise you, Lord, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's worship him before we go today, church. Let's worship him. Thank you, Lord.